Welcome to the Vantage Point podcast from Grayling. I'm your host, Laura Thomas, head of strategy, a self-proclaimed geriatric millennial and overly enthusiastic American based at our global headquarters in London. The Vantage Point podcast hosts Friends the Agency, who offer different and studied perspectives on important themes we think our talent, our clients, and our industry should be smart about. Because keeping smart and attuned to what's coming around the corner is how we ensure our teams and clients have advantage in their sectors, in culture, and in conversations. Today's guests are the CEO and founder of Juve Consulting, Ziad Ahmed, who I met as a teenage entrepreneur and is now 23 years old, and Nate Jones, Juve's head of influencer marketing. If you haven't heard of it already, Juve is a Gen Z-led marketing agency that works with some pretty heavy-hitting companies and organizations, helping them to connect with this powerful group. From Spotify to presidential campaigns, Juver in Demand is a consultancy largely made up of Gen Z humans who don't just study from afar, but are actually making culture. Now for our conversation with Ziad and Nate on the Vantage Point Podcast. I am so excited to be here today with two people um, that I admire and always look forward to meeting up with, Ziad and Nate from Juve. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Vantage Point podcast. Hello, Hi, my hello. friend. It's so good to be here. I know. I, it, the scheduling was way too easy on this one with how busy you guys are. It, it, no, it's no. kind of freaking me out. <laughs> no, it worked out great. It worked out great. It prior, right, it's a priority until we make it happen. Uh, you always do. So... For people that don't know about Juve, of which I'm sure there are a few over here um, in, in the UK and Europe, I thought it would be really great if you kind of just tell us about yourselves and why you exist and kind of why and how you've been thriving since 2016, I think it is. Yeah, that's right. You've done your you've done your homework. Well, you've known us for a long time. We probably yes, I have. met in what? 2018? Maybe. Two, yeah, I think probably 2018. No, I I think it was even earlier than that because I had a baby in 2018. I was actually trying to do the maths and I was like, I definitely knew Ziad when he was a teenager. One thousand percent. For sure. You knew me. When I, was, I was still a teenager. <laughs> sure. in 2018. I was still a teenager in 2018. Yeah. But I it was 2017 or 2018 is the right answer. It was definitely. one of those. It was one of those two years. Um, but um, yeah, Drew, we are what Refinery29 calls the largest and most popular Gen Z agency. And our story is such that uh, I grew up, me and Nate both grew up in Princeton, New Jersey. And when I was a junior in high school, I came up with this idea that if folks are talking about us, they should be talking to us and got together with some friends and said, let's do it. And seven and a half years later, here we are, right? And essentially, we come from a place of believing that diverse young people having a seat at the table makes the world look better and brighter. Right. And we've been hustling to make that world come to fruition for seven and a half years now. And it's sort of been this extraordinary roller coaster and journey. And of course, our business has pivoted and evolved in a million and one ways, but we're really centered in that same ethos. Right. We exist to empower diverse Gen Zers, and that's who we are. And that's what we do. We do that through market research. We do that, we do that through consulting and advising. We do that through marketing implementation services, whether that's influencer marketing, experiential marketing or content creation. Um, and we do so from a place of impact and purpose. Right. Um, trying to push the envelope and trying to leave our generation better off uh, in some way, shape, or form. And some days feel closer to that mission than others, but it keeps us busy for certain. Um, <laughs> and um, we've gotten to work with some really extraordinary partners over the years and have the most extraordinary team in the world. And um, yeah, coming off, we just mentioned, we, you know, coming off of 
of a high from ZCon, right? Our first major conference, the first major conference, only Gen Z speakers, which is in many ways the culmination of the last seven and a half years in the sense that we're really grateful to have relationships with many of the most iconic brands and Gen Zers in the world and impact partners and bringing them all together to have recess and prom, but also spar about the future of work is, is exactly why we exist, right? To inject joy, to inject incisive commentary into an ecosystem that I think is oftentimes the same things on repeat. Um, and we're trying to disrupt that wherever and however we can. Um, and grateful for the chance to hopefully get to spar a little bit here uh, with you. Yeah, it's it's so funny because obviously we've known each other for a while. But as I was kind of going back and relooking at, you know, your website and, you know, some of the new the new articles you guys have been included in and stuff. It's funny because when I first met you, I thought, wow, you know, a Gen Z agency made up of Gen Z, like what a novel idea. But you reflect on it and you think, you know, I've been a strategist for a long time and it's constantly been generations being looked at through the lens of other generations and not being included in the conversation. And it's kind of amazing to think that it took this long for you guys in Princeton, go Jersey, I'm from Summit. Go Jersey. Uh, Jersey. Jersey. Oh, there we go. Um, But for you guys to like be sitting there and going, wait a minute, we've got to change this entire paradigm that, you know, all the demographers and all the research agencies have been, you know, perpetuating for years and years and years. I mean, well, well done you because it needed to happen. It's insane that we would study a subject and then not ask them what they think. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. But but I, I feel enormously privileged um, that we were in a position where we could, right? Um, it, it took being in and around enough educational access, right? And enough economic privilege to be able to be like, yeah, I'm going to work for free for years, right? And to be able to like, yeah, I can be an entrepreneur. And so I, I feel uniquely privileged that we got to do this and that it's for all uh, apparent purposes worked, right? Like we're doing it, right? You know, we had this idea and we're it's- We're doing it. We're, we're so far beyond the dream I had, right? The dream I had was just like, this should exist in the world. And now like I have employees with kids and like offices that do sit, like I never dreamt of that, right? And so it's been um, really remarkable to see it all unfold beyond uh, beyond even this idea that I was really privileged to even be able to implement and execute on. And well, I, I think- to talk to, to talk about unfolding, and it was actually Nate. I was gonna I was gonna yeah, ask you this yeah. question. Um, you know, I've worked in agencies for longer than I'd like to admit, and the roster of clients you guys have, the variety of work you do, it's you know definitely hashtag goals to be an absolute geriatric millennial in this moment. But <laughs> you know, you. It's amazing how much you do in with so many different clients, pulling so many different levers, um, connecting with so many different people within, you know, now the, the largest generation. Um, how do you keep that, the focus of your purpose that you just talked about, but also, you know, keep that diversity and keep that, that kind of innovative spirit that you have? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think while we offer a lot of things and we do a lot of things, I think at the end of the day, we stay focused because, you know, those are all just a mechanism to work towards our why, right? And I think it's it's interesting that like a lot of the times when we're meeting with companies or clients or prospective clients, like we like to kick off the conversation by being like, what is your why in one sentence, right? And can everyone at your company institution say that why? Um, and we are a company and since the beginning have been a company that exists to empower young people. And so I think that is really how we stay grounded because, you know, we try to live our ethos every single day. And so 
while we do research, while we do strategy, while we do, you know, influencer work and experiential and all these things, um, they're all mechanisms for me to empower young people, right? And to help brands understand a generation that I think is uniquely hard to understand. And so um, I think, you know, a lot of the times folks are, are biting off a bit more than they can chew. And that's when you start getting muddled and you start maybe losing a sense of groundedness. But I think for us, we have yeah, always right. been grounded in, in a sense yeah. of... Um, yeah, he's you know, frozen Gen for Z me too. Gen Z consultancy. You, froze, hey, you froze. Now you're back. Oh, I did? Yeah. 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 For like a second. But you're back. Oh, no. Um, oh, no, no, no. Um, but yeah, so I think um, we are, are sort of grounded in this ethos. And so we sort of operate always from that place. I would agree with that. So when, when I'm just so interested because when clients come to you and they ask you to do something, is the first thing you start with, okay, you know, does this empower Gen Z? And then if it doesn't, do you tell them how to do it differently? Do you help them relook at their goals? I imagine that happens a lot, actually. (laughs) Um, It's a great question. Uh, Look, we, I think, are known for our candor. And so I think that it depends in the sense that if we're on the phone with somebody that like we're sort of skeptical about their business practices, we're going to make that known from the first conversation, right? And we're going to push and challenge. If we're working, if we're talking to somebody that we're really excited about, right, that we think maybe does already sort of empower Gen Z or excite Gen Z in some way, then we're probably pushing a little bit less at the get, right? If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I think it depends conversation to conversation, but I think to Nate's point, we're always starting by asking them what their why is, right? And then we're trying to make them come up with a way, we're trying to help them think through how do you show up for their why in the most bold and brave and beautiful way, right? And what that looks like in practice is is a brand might come to me and say, we stand for fun. And I'm like, blase, fine, but I'll take it, right? Like the question then is not how do we provide fun to kids who are already having fun? The question is, and how do we provide fun to those who least have access to it? Whether that be Mm -hmm. underfunded school districts or whether that be kids in refugee camps, right? Thinking about how you show up for your why and make that known, not just in external marketing practices, but also in how you internally operate your business is where we're always pushing our clients either explicitly or implicitly through our own ideation, as well as through the ways that we frame our conversations and agendas. But it depends client to client. And there are certainly a lot of clients that we said, in that we think that you disempower young people and, and we're, not, um, we're not interested in this. And there are clients where it's more of a mixed bag, right? They do some things that we love and some things that we don't love as much. And we're trying to make them do more that we love, right? Um, and we believe that by having a seat at the table to orient them in that direction, um, that that's better than not having a seat at the table at all. Absolutely. And I would hope that they would see the power in future-proofing their business with the largest group of consumers with the biggest spending power, potentially. So I mean, listen we're, up, we're y'all. Certainly, <laughs> we're certainly having a moment and you know, very prominent in, in a lot of the headlines we're seeing these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... To kind of take a little bit of a pivot um, to the work that you've done more politically, because I find this work really inspiring. It gives me hope for the future. And Zayed, of course, doing my research, you were quoted in The Guardian in April um, saying, quote, we are so unapologetically a political company. It's embedded into everything we do. And I just thought that was really heartening for someone like me who has small children and wants to see a future in which youth are engaged and have a voice and are participating. So I was just really interested in that being what seems like a really big part of your ethos. And, you know, was it always a vision for you to engage in the political sector? Did the political sector come to you? Like how, talk to me about that work. 
I mean, there's a lot to dive in here. Um, I think Nate can probably give context into how political I am. And uh, I was lucky enough to uh, attend middle school and high school at Ziad, and he, um, you know, was loud and he was opinionated and he was he was always political from the get. And with that context, where I started a nonprofit in eighth grade built around social justice advocacy and was very political from a very young age and spent a lot of time in and around D.C. in political circles doing work, sometimes youth voter engagement work and the like um, for various residential campaigns, you know, district offices, things of that nature. Um, and so in many ways, it's like who I am. And also being an American Muslim, my name has been politicized. My identity has been politicized for as long as I've been alive. Right. And so Absolutely. I have I've always been political, but I think. From a company perspective, we've always been political because I think that we view the word political differently than I think a lot of business folks in the sense that I think there's a really bizarre conflation of the word political and the word partisan in business. We're not necessarily a partisan company, though. My uh, ideological leanings are very public, right? Um, As a company, we don't take a position on what party we support, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We take a position on policy matters that ladder into our why, right? So if a policy in fa- impacts the cr- a critical mass of young people, then we have a position on it because we exist to empower diverse young people, right? Mm-hmm. And so that means a lot of things are of interest and uh, you know, for us because a lot of things impact young people, the future, the present. And so when we're talking about something like climate action, there's no air for our generation to, to breathe unless we take action on it, right? unless we have a decisive position on it, right? And so for a lot of these things that we're talking about, of course, we're unapologetically company because we'd be dishonest not to be. And I think it's also understanding that one of the primary things that day in and day out that I am trying to dispel as a myth is this bizarre myth that exists in business that somehow the personal and the political are separable. When you look at our generation that is perhaps majority minority, that is, you know, increasingly identifying across a gender and sexuality spectrum that you know, represents so many different identities and backgrounds, you are understanding that for so many Gen Zers, our identity has been politicized for as long as we've been alive. And so when we enter any space, we enter that space with our identity, with our baggage, with our trauma. And so long business has said, check that at the door, and then created a space where only on the other side of that door, those who don't have those things can thrive, right? When in reality, we need an ecosystem, we need a world where like, there is no personal without my political. There is no seeing me without my policies. Because if you are, as a person, see me, but then are supporting the very policies that deny me my humanity, you don't see me at all, right? Mm-hmm. And so having that understanding is what informs our business because the most powerful part of my job, why I love what I do is that we're seeking to, we don't always get it right, create a community that accepts radically every single person as they are, right? That creates a tent, an umbrella, an ecosystem, a community, and hopefully Zcon's an, exen- an extension of this, where all are welcome and all are celebrated, right? And building a future where that is possible, where that is palpable, is so much of why we do what we do, that of course we're political, because there's no way to get to that goal without policies, without infrastructure being created to support and ladder up into that. But Nate, Nate you know, we went to high school and middle school together, is not as political as I am, though perhaps still political. I'm curious to hear from Nate's perspective, like how, because like, I can get on a soapbox and talk about it all day, but like how that actually manifests into how we run our business. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all the strategies and all the services that we do for brands, right, can, can be applied to the world of politics at large. And I think um, we've seen increasingly a demand to do so. And I think just in the same way that the the tactics that brands have used for so many years to reach young audiences and consumers 
have started you know, failing or changing. It's the same for politics, right? And it's the same for getting young people to the polls. The same strategies that have been used year over year are, are not resonating in the same way. And so I think um, a lot of the times it's, it's just logical in that the world of politics or the world of nonprofits or the world of, you know, XYZ thing um, are no longer reaching young people. And so um, they come to us to sort of solve that problem. And I think we, as a company that is, you know, pretty unapologetically political, you know, even progressive would say that um, there are folks that we are more keen to work with on those strategies than others, right? Because of, once again, mm -hmm. how that ladders up into why we exist as a company um, and who are we motivated to help um, reach young people based on the messaging that they're trying to promote. But, yeah. I, you know, it's it strikes me listening to you guys that while you're saying, you know, I, I am my policies, I am my trauma, I am all the things that I bring with me which is a very niche thing. There's no one else like you when you go into a room, right? It also- I, sure, I, sure, I think they could back that up. I, I should hope so. <laughs> Do you think me too, maybe? But- no, I think all of us. I think all of us. I, sure. But I think, I, think, I think having that, that ethos also forces you to be a bit impartial because it, me, it, make, it makes you be, have an open stance with everyone else. Like, cause you want to appreciate everyone's unique position and everyone's unique set of beliefs, even if they might disagree with yours, you at 100%. least want to be open to them. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not in the business of normalizing every opinion. Right. But I am in the business of acknowledging everyone's humanity. And further, I'm in the business of believing that it's my role as a manager, right? And a lot of the work that we do around future of work with clients and, and speaking on it is this idea that to be a manager today is to sign up for a tremendous amount of emotional labor. And I think that's what a lot of folks in other generations don't understand about their roles is that blanket policies don't work in a world where every person has such a unique set of circumstances. Of course, policies, precedent matters. I'm not suggesting that it shouldn't, but I'm suggesting that treating concerns as righteous, right? Treating people as human is paramount to creating cultures where people feel heard and seen. And it takes a lot of labor and time, right? And so a lot of my job, right, is one-on-ones where people who are not, I am not their direct manager, who it is really important to them and to me that they feel heard, right? Um, and that even when I really disagree with what they are saying or what they are believing, that we tease it out as human to human and that we find some sense of common empathy for each other. Um, and it's easier said than done, as Nate can tell you. Um, this is not yeah. the easiest part of my job, but um, it's an important part. And, and I think it applies to, to the, the client sphere too, in that like there are a lot of companies that we maybe disagree with, right? Or that have been called out because of their ethics or, or practices. But you know, we are pretty willing to take that initial call to figure out if the work we can do with them will somehow make them better and will somehow empower young people. And I think um, oftentimes it's it's getting on a call and, and talking human to human with the folks that work at some of these larger corporations that are more conceptual to a lot of people and, and talking to the human on the other end of the phone um, who maybe has been fighting that battle internally and, and, and being advocates for them um, and showing up as diverse young people and saying, you know, this person is right, like we can do better, right? And and so we wanna be um, the team that helps you do that, I think. Um, it, it's something we think about a lot is like, we obviously have to vet the, the folks we're deciding to work with and we're deciding to work with them. Um, and it's a conversation that we have to have about whether the work we're doing is empowering young people or not, um, which I think goes to the question you were asking uh, about, you know, the, uh, showing up with our, with, our, with our politics and with our beliefs. 
I imagine, though, that an, an offshoot of you guys constantly coming back to your why when you're talking to any kind of client, being open to, to what they're trying to accomplish, who they are, you're actually also opening up the minds and kind of retraining generations that might not have had that stance. Because, I mean, I definitely was brought up by the do as I say, because I'm your mother or father or whatever generation. And I did because I was scared shitless. But, <laughs> you know, I think you guys thinking always, okay, can we work with these guys? Do they have do they have the bandwidth to be able to help us empower this generation, even if they're not doing it now? It's probably teaching by action, I, I hope, in, in some ways. Yeah. And I think on that point, like you mentioned that you were scared shitless. I, I was on a call last week. Um, I'm part of this like leadership program, right? That I was accepted into recently. And it's like a cohort of people ages like 24 to 45. And so I'm like the, I, one of the youngest, the youngest, right? In this cohort, and the conversations last week was about imposter syndrome. And everyone was sharing sort of like how they deal with or contend with imposter syndrome. And I sort of share this perspective that like, if I'm being honest, I've never experienced imposter syndrome. Right. And like, what a rare thing that is to be true. And what a unique thing that Gen Z, that I don't think that all Gen Z feels this way, but that I could be a Gen Zer and say that I think is a result of the unique sort of geopolitical circumstances I've been born into. Right. But for me, like, truly, I'm not scared, right, from that perspective, right, of saying no, of pushing back, right. And a lot of that comes from privilege, a lot of that comes from like my maleness and, you know, whatever it might be. But it also comes from being Gen Z and living in this moment where we've had such outsized power right, where employers were more lucky to have employees and employees were to have, were to have those same jobs. And Absolutely. our parents depended on us to learn about the digital universe. And so it was a more mutualistic relationship than just a paternal one. And a lot of things shifted such that we felt more power very early. And like from an imposter syndrome perspective, it's not that I haven't been made to feel other in a lot of spaces. Of course I have, but I never had the takeaway that like, I don't belong. I had the takeaway that like, this place sucks. Right. Yeah. You um, didn't internalize it. Yeah. And, and, and I think that like that is a huge difference. Right. And like when, it, when for Jew or Zcon, like so much of, I think Gen Z's ethos, which I think Jew is a reflection of and Zcon's reflection of is like, when we don't like the current spaces, we're going to build our own. Right. Like our research finds that like 50%, like 50% of Gen Zers like don't feel comfortable in normal corporate conferences. So like we created our own. Right. You know, like we don't want to sit in that position of, being scared and doing just because someone said so, right? Um, and the fact that we are living in a world today where there's not enough, but more latitude to push back, to reinvent, is I think an extraordinary opportunity that our generation has access to. Well, speaking of pushing back, I moved over here almost 10 years ago, but I still vote in Kings County because Brooklyn was the last place I lived before I came over. And also speaking of scared shitless, I was very worried about the red wave hmm. that was discussed for the U.S. midterms mm -hmm. that, you know, the press has largely credited Gen Z with stopping. And I know you guys played a part of that mobilization, shall we say. So would love to hear about kind of the genesis of that you know, how you approached it and how in my, in my, in my political view, you saved us. <laughs> no, I, I can't claim that. But Nate could talk about some work that we've done with influencers in the political space. Yeah, um, yeah. I think has hopefully shifted the needle a little. Exactly. I certainly can't uh, claim to be responsible at, in any large part for that. Um, but if we've played our smart part even a little bit, that, you know, I'm grateful uh, for sure because, you know, I share a lot of the same anxieties that you've expressed. But I think, um, you know, in today's day and age, you 
we think a lot about social media as this place where people, you know, are obtaining information and consuming information and it, it's a source of information. And so I think when we think about policies and politicians, we have to think about that space as, as critical. And we have to think about the people who are creating content in those spaces as critical. And so I think, you know, we've done some work with, with some nonprofits um, that have been focused around traditionally more celebrity type um, as, you know, a mechanism with which to reach voters um, to get out information as they have massive influence and massive power and following. Um, and I think we've been approached because we sort of uniquely understand not necessarily the traditional celebrity world um, as well, but but more this world of influencers and content creators um, who for our demographic, you know, are uniquely influential. And so, you know, as a company that has a very sort of human network and has very real authentic relationships with those sort of producing culture at large for Gen Z, um, we've been able to tap into those relationships for nonprofits to make sure young people are, you know, aware of information surrounding, you know, voter registration and, you know, the midterm elections, who's running, what's on the ballot, those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, that's work we take a lot of pride in um, because, you know, it is very easy for us to see the, the impact in what we're doing there and, and how that ladders up again, once again, into our why. Um, and so, you know, we've helped, um, you know, nonprofits and, and campaigns leverage social media and leverage influencers to make sure that they're reaching young people sort of where they're at, you know, rather than through traditional means that might not be as effective anymore. Yeah. And from a political perspective, right, like that is the work that I care most about, right? Like if we can leverage these relationships, this community, these platforms, our understanding of top platforms to make the world better. Like that's why I do what I do. Like I don't, run this business to make money like we make money so that we can influence the world right um in positive right. directions to to uplift our generation and so like this work is so important to us and we've been fortunate to work with nonprofits. we've been fortunate to work with political campaigns right to leverage our understanding of digital platforms of meme culture our relationships with creators to engage in advocacy efforts and um it's not work that i expected to necessarily do when we started the company but it's work that i think to your point, like, is perhaps the most important work that we do here, right? And um, to Nate's point earlier, like, while we're not a partisan company, we are a progressive company, and our values are very clear. And so we disproportionately obviously work with nonprofits, with advocacy groups, and campaigns that share those values, right? right. Um, whether that is around climate, whether that is around reproductive justice, whether that is around, you know, investing in our education system, right? These are issues that matter a ton to young people and they matter a ton to us, right? Um, and so we are endlessly hopeful, right? For a world that is free of gun violence, right? Um, Amen. People have bodily autonomy, right? Where we respect identity, where we create infrastructures that allow people to feel full and human exactly as they are, right? That um, create equal opportunity for young people to thrive and, and not just survive, right? And so um, that that takes the shape of client campaigns. It also takes the shape of sometimes juve. We're doing our own advocacy, right? Creating our own PSAs, right? Where we're not, we're very aware that we are often more political than our clients would sometimes like, right? Or sometimes want to be, you know, put their dollars behind and. I'm under no delusions that like I can convince my clients to do anything. And so sometimes we have an idea and we know a client's not going to fund it. And so we just do it. 
right? Because we believe that content, that a message, that we uniquely have the capability and relationships and community to execute on a story, to execute on an initiative, um, you know, to, to, to shift the needle. And that also, from an impact perspective, that doesn't just look like political advocacy or campaigns, but also looks like a lot of internal choices that we make, right? In terms yeah. of where we speak, how we show up, right? Our own compensation practices, right? Like every internal decision that we make as a company is guided by our why and, 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 and impact. And it shows up in a lot of small ways and big ways. And whether that's an external facing campaign or a donation that no one needs to know about that we made, right? That just something happened in the world. We wanted to sh- show support for that community. And so we did, right? Because that's why we exist is so that we can, right? And so um, that really governs a lot about how we operate. So I wanted to ask, you know, you, you talked about how with some of the political engagement work, it's 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 truly been about educating, you know, people within your generation about about the issues, which we know issues were the main thing, you know, in exit polls that kind of were cited as the reason people under 25, under 30 went out and actually voted. I was also fairly fascinated with the midterms. I'm a, I'm a lurker on TikTok, as my team calls me. It's a lovely term. Um, and you know, I was lurking and I was watching some candidates that were definitely trying to make a play on a more, you know, one-to-one level to, to win Gen Z over. And I don't know, I, maybe I don't get it. Maybe it wasn't, it wasn't built for me. I can, I can, I can admit that, but I, I'm just interested from your perspective. Like there's one thing engaging Gen Z about issues from, from a nonprofit perspective, you know, what do you guys think about when candidates try and go into Gen Z spaces, co-op Gen Z language, you know, take over meme culture, as it were. Saw a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I'm just so curious what you what you think. I mean, I, I can kick us off here because I know Zia will have thoughts too. I think like I, I almost think about this question the same way I think about brands answering this question, right? Like, is it cringe for a brand to show up in Gen Z spaces and and you know speak our language, so to speak? And I think first of all, it's a fine line, right, to make sure we're not co-opting from certain communities or, you know, AAVE and all these sorts of things where Gen Z vernacular a lot of the time starts um, and should end. But I think um, I think it is very clear when folks are working with the right partners to do so, right? And I think we like to always say, like, things feel authentic when they are authentic, right? Things feel forced when they are forced. And so I think when you're showing up at these spaces and your team is reflective of that community, um, it's going to feel right, right? Hopefully. Um, and when you're showing up in these spaces and you haven't once talked to the sorts of people you're trying to reach here, it's not going to feel right. And so I think um, that's why it is so important that folks, you know, both from a brand side and from a politics side, are working you know, with people like us or working with different diverse young people day to day in and out at a, at a high level, right? Not just in front of the camera, but behind and all these sorts of things that we talk about um, to show up in these spaces um, impactfully and authentically um but i know ziad of course will have some thoughts on this as well no i mean it's so it's funny sometimes because like uh, nate and i increasingly have a lot of the same thoughts um <laughs> and so uh, he certainly took some of the words out of my mouth but um what i would say is one i want to be sensitive to the fact that how, when we use the word gen z language we oftentimes actually mean black queer vernacular right and so i am certainly never an advocate that anyone co-opt language from marginalized communities that are still being um, chastised for that cultural production, right? Um, While other people are trying to co-opt it to gain brownie points on the internet, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. so that is certainly something that I would never recommend any candidate 
for brand do, unless, of course, they are from and of those communities, right? In which case, it's not co-opting, right? It is speaking as a member of a community and with the language that is native to your surrounding, right? Which I'm certainly an advocate of everyone showing up as their full self rather than sanitizing who we are and how we are to professionalize ourselves that are really professionalized has become just a moniker to like being closer to the hegemon, right? Rather than showing up as a <laughs> right? Um, and, and I'm certainly not an advocate of that. But what I would say is like in terms of like showing up on TikTok or just showing up on digital platforms, when you're a candidate, the old way of thinking about it is you knocked on every door, right? You showed up to every town square. You met people where they were at. And so absolutely you should be on TikTok right? If you were going to neighborhoods that you never once stepped foot in, if you were going to town squares that were not your own to get votes, why wouldn't you be where the critical mass of young people are if the whole nature of politics is about meeting people where they are at and getting to know your community? And so from the same perspective that you as a marketer have to lurk on TikTok is you need to understand a demographic. If you're just trying to represent constituents, you better show up where your constituents are and understand how they're organizing and speaking as a community. So I think it's paramount that folks show up where young people are, but then in terms of how you show up, at the Nate's point, how that's mm-hmm. authentic, that takes actual engagement. That takes actual cultural understanding. That takes community building, which are a lot easier said than done, right? And so I'd encourage folks to lurk before they post, right? I'd always encourage folks to listen before they talk, right? And it's no different, right? When someone gets on TikTok and just starts posting and you're like, they've clearly never used this app once. Yeah, that's cringy. When someone starts posting, you're like, wow, they really get it. That's impressive, right? Um, and so I think it takes a willingness to engage, a willingness to learn, and then a bravery, right, to actually execute on that learning. Um, but it's certainly what I would advise any person who's trying to reach anyone to do. Yeah. But I'm also hearing from you loud and clear, like, when you the way you show up has to be authentic to yourself as well. You can't yeah. show up as a reflection of what you think yeah. everybody wants like when someone, to say. Like, it's like cringy when anyone tries to, like, be someone they're not. Right. Like, yeah. like, I think there's like, I think for a long time, there was like, my mom is on TikTok or whatever. And she's like, this is not an app for me. Like, it's silly that I'm here. And that's like, no, there's actually a lot of moms on TikTok and they're making content. Like that's for other moms now. And like, it's great. Right. Like, I love, I love my recipe content. I'm not going to yeah, lie. <laughs> exactly. And like those, the me recipe too. content isn't like, like, they're not trying <laughs> to do like renegade. Like they're trying to make recipes. Right. Like it'd be cringy if you were watching a recipe video and they were like renegading while they're like making the recipe. Like that would be weird. Right, you're, you're trying to like retrofit who you are to meet some like weird idea of how you think the platform operates. But when you just show up as yourself, that's usually what translates. Because I think what people are looking for is like, I always talk about this, like millennials are aspirationally excellent. Gen Z is aspirationally unapologetic. We're looking for people who care enough to not, who don't, who are brave enough to not care, right? Who just don't care about editing or testing their captions with 10 friends who are just like, I'm going to post what I want to post. Because we don't always do that, right? Like we feel it's like intense pressure to self-edit, to self-curate. And so I think when folks are radical enough to be themselves, it, it, it certainly translates. I'm so personally inspired by that. I'm, uh, that's, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push myself. I'm, I'm quite competitive, actually. I'm going to push myself to be radically unapologetic just to see how it feels. And I bet it's going to feel really good. Yeah, but it's also it's- scary. And, it's, and, it, and it, 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 it is really scary because it's a lot easier for someone to not like a character that you're playing than to not like you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so there's a real fear right in like being that vulnerable and that transparent because like when someone chastises my instagram now it's like yeah i don't like it either like it's not really like me right like but if i were to like post like my deepest inner thoughts and like 
my most sincere parts of myself all the time. And someone's like, I hate your Instagram. I'm like, you hate me, right? <laughs> um, and so I think there is, it, there is a fear in both regards, but I think there's something freeing about if I were to not care about either or. If I were to say, this is me, and what about it, right? And mm. I think the people who are there um, are the people that I think many of us most, most want to be like. Yeah, it's it's it, it's an appreciated characteristic, isn't it? Because it's, I mean, we're not forever. Like, I'm not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it probably took me until I was about 40 to realize that. And I was yeah. cool with it. I was like, yeah. No, you know, I'm like, still not. Yeah, it, it's, it, and, and it's okay. Because there are millions of people out there. So I'm for somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, I think, yeah. I think certainly in our jobs, but also in our generation, that's a hard pill to swallow. And I think it's 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 made harder when I don't think any human is wired to be able to process that many opinions about them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's not an, a fringe thing now to have gone viral, right? Like every high school has a few kids who've had a viral TikTok video, if not more than that, right? Um, it's kind of ubiquitous that folks are out there creating content and receiving a lot of attention and i think that's a really psychologically hard thing to contend with because it's easier when you're like oh like that person doesn't like me they don't know me but like these are my friends like me and there's only like 10 people and i can look at them all in the eye and like change their opinion and then it's different when it's like more comments than you can even read about yourself right mm-hmm. um and, and, and that is feedback. a lot of feedback so do we turn off the comments i mean i have a lot of radical opinions about this I, my policy position is that I think anonymity is one of the worst things that happened to the internet. Being able to say something and not have to face the ramification for having said it is, I think, what leads people to say a lot of the worst thing. Um, right. So it's not that I'm pro an absence. I think it has to be all one or all the other. Like on Reddit, people are actually like relatively kind of in the sense that like everyone is anonymous. Yeah. Right. Um, there's some weird thing about like, I'm anonymous, but you're real. So I can bully you, but you don't know who I am. Right. Um, whereas I think this weird interplay of the two is is what has created such a toxic internet climate. Um, because I'm all for our, like accountability culture and like folks challenging, but say it with your whole chest and say it as you, right? Um, spam commenting, hate speech, namelessly with an egg profile picture is not serving any agenda. No, and you know I I know we've kind of meandered off of what we originally started with, but this is actually, this is huge on the UK political agenda yeah. um, mm-hmm. in, in 2023. And I think there's, you know, I haven't obviously haven't lived in the States for quite a while, but here it it's something that you feel people are passionately committed to solving because they know it's not, it's not serving a society, especially young people. You know, we've seen, we've seen some real, some real damage and trauma, Mm. off the back of that anim- anonymity um as you said but i i do i do think it's it's a hard one to solve and i think older generations over here are, are in the positions of power and being asked to solve it but they don't have the answers and they don't necessarily have the tools mm. i think it's, yeah. it's really hard to solve problems when you don't fundamentally understand them and i think that's uh a lot of of what happens today is like people are trying to, you know, triangulate around social media and, and all sorts of stuff that they don't have the deep context and understanding for. And so the solutions aren't aren't necessarily working. 
it's a big one, guys. But, and... but we are a generation of contradictions. And I think while there is so much hate that exists on the internet, so many people have found community and inspiration and joy there as well. And so, um, you know, I don't want to leave us on a totally morbid note. So I think it's worth highlighting um, that personally, I don't think we should turn the comments off because I think I've been so impressed by just how funny Gen Z is um, existing in the comment <laughs> section. And I think if you are a brand or if you are anyone, um, how you show up in comment sections is radically important. And I think it's something we talk to our clients a lot about. I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the answer, though, is, you know, how how do we how do we put our attention to comments and behavior and comments and, you know, make it make it a more positive space? You know, I think we often when I work with clients or even colleagues, you kind of it's like this Wild West that nobody even touches. It's just like, oh, what's going to happen in the comments? But it's like, what if what if you actually put some some strategy and some thought into cultivating a culture in those spaces? What would happen? TikTok, and TikTok's clever about that in so far as if you comment back to a comment, that becomes a top comment, right? So you get to set the tone because mm-hmm. no one's scrolling on every single comment. And yeah. so if you're engaging back with your comments, then you're setting the conversation, right? And so TikTok was quite clever on the algorithm to do that. And so I think it is really foolish that a lot of brands did not invest in community management in so far as their social media strategy because they think that's how you actually Absolutely. set the conversation. And to Nate's point, so much of Gen Z's humor is rooted in meme culture, which is right sharing a literacy of certain vocabulary of formats of humor and doing your own spin on it. And so much of that unfolds in the comments, everyone's taking their own spin right on something and proving how in on the joke that they are. And I think the comments are why TikTok has been so successful. That it's not the video itself. It's like you, most of us are clicking the comments before we finish the video, right? Because that is where a lot of the humor lies. Um, and I think Gen Z is obsessed with like this communal, like Netflix watch party. Like, in some ways, TikTok is Netflix watch partying, right? Like you are watching right. a piece of content with your friends and, and friends in a very abstract sense and hearing and seeing their commentary that almost enriches the experience, right? And as a brand, it's your goal to cultivate community and to cultivate experience in a way um, that allows folks to feel connected and want to return and i think that the fact that a lot of brands don't take that responsibility seriously is part of why they will not experience longevity right um we really Mm -hmm. believe the future of business is community first and how you cultivate conversation and community and connection with and amongst your audience is critical um to relationship building and and, and everyone knows that if you have a relationship that withstands the test of time as opposed to just a one-way um communication channel where no one actually knows each other yeah, I you know I um I talk to clients. We've got we've got some pretty big, big clients, and I'm amazed at how many times I talk I talk about the fact that people don't trust businesses, they don't trust organizations, they trust other people, and mm. at the end of the day, a business or organization is is a community. It's a group of people that yeah. that work there, and you know work there because they got to make money, but they probably believe in something. There's something there that's feeding them. So, you know, r- reminding my clients of that and saying, you know, you've got power in the communities you have internally. They're, they are who you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I it's think really, exactly, and I think that, basic, works, but... that works both ways because to my clients, the way that I frame that is when there's a scandal or those people are upset about something, I'm like, you need to show up as you, not a brand PR statement. Show up as a yeah. person. Tell, tell me what went wrong and why it went wrong and how you're going to fix it because that feels human and honest. When you put up a PR statement, it feels PR because it was PR. 
right? Like you don't actually care yeah. if you're not willing to take the brunt as a real human, right? And I think so often brands are like putting up influencers speak on on behalf of them instead of becoming the influencer themselves. And like oftentimes I'm like, no babes, like you're so charismatic and you're so camera ready. Like why not you? You know, like you should be the like the one doing your TikTok, right? Like we want to know who's behind the curtain. Show us who yeah. ours is, right? Um, and I think that folks are oftentimes really scared of that because it violates a lot of fundamental business norms, but I think it's necessary. And the flip side of that, the way to talk about it with Gen Z is, I think a lot of Gen Z are sometimes like the system is so separate from who we are. Like it's the system's over here and here we are, when the reality is like we are the system, right? That like when we're critiquing yep. the system, we should critique the system. We have to realize that like as we age and as we go up, like we are the system. And also like the people who are running the system are people that we're having lunch and brunch with, right? That are on the street with us. And unless we relate to them as humans, like they're not going to change the system because they're not going to know us, right? And like the system is only propagated and perpetuated by real people who have individual ideologies who are deciding, to your point, to stay or to not stay somewhere because of some some belief system. And so mm-hmm. we have to change the belief system on, of individuals on, at, at mass if we're to change the system. And I think sometimes a lot of like the Gen Z discourse like assumes that corporate action is like fundamentally separable from individual action as opposed to like looking at it from the perspective that like corporate action is only made possible by a lot of individual action of individuals choosing together to, of choosing to work there and then making the decision that said corporation which is why like i believe in a lot of the conversations that i have we have to look at it from both of those perspectives to really understand that like everything in business politics otherwise and nate's role is just this right is about relationships right yeah. um that is how the world runs and unless we invest in that we have nothing one thousand percent. I'm gonna I'm gonna excerpt this, and I'm just gonna put it at the beginning of every strategy deck I share with clients. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'll get I, the job done. I love it. I love it. Well, guys, oh my gosh, have we run over time? But I, I mean, I'm not surprised because every time I sit down with the two of you, it's it's a it's it's Never a good deep conversation. Yeah. And that's because we have a real relationship and we have for many years and we, we so value and appreciate you and, and are so grateful to get to learn Human. alongside each other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, gosh, I can't tell you how much I've learned from you guys. I mean, the fact that Likewise. I even went on TikTok in the first place is a miracle. And now I love it. I'm making recipes. Look at me. Love You're we love to see it. We love to see it. I'm a lurker. I know. Now I'm gonna. I, I'm like make, making mental notes though. I'm like I gotta get in on the comments now. They're apparently really funny. They're really funny. <laughs> Maybe less so funny on a recipe video. The recipes are probably like you sure four? Maybe a quarter. Like <laughs> you know. Hey, it's important information. No, it is. Yeah. It is. That's no, right. You can, you can learn a lot in the comment section for sure. Well, that's what I'm taking away from today. Good. Good. <laughs> and so much more. Maybe there'll be some comments on this podcast, and we can learn a lot from them. I know. I'm very excited. Well. Guys, thank you so much. I I know this won't be our last conversation. No, we'll we'll, we'll have many, many more. But thank you for sharing one of our typical crazy but super interesting and I think intellectual conversations with um the rest of the Vantage Point audience. We really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Thank you, my friend. So appreciate yes, you and so excited you. for many more soon. As, as All much right. We'll talk to you guys soon. From you. So thank you for having us. Oh, thanks, Nate. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Laura. We hope you enjoyed today's Vantage Point podcast. If you want to hear more fresh perspectives on the world we live in, 
of the communications environment in which we operate, please subscribe or reach out by emailing vantagepoint at grayling.com.